You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. Harini, glad to see you are safe and sound back in Malaysia. I was thinking about you the other day because um, it's hot and muggy in San Diego right now. And it gets very hot and muggy in Malaysia. So, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. she's back in it. She's back mm-hmm. in the humidity. Has anyone tried to buy you or Dave the piece of cloth that you wrap around your waist? Like all the uncles wear this cloth that looks like a skirt. Mm-hmm. I mean, another word is sarong. Right. Is it is it like a sarong? Like that's how they would wear it? Yes. Usually it's like a checkered or plaid mm-hmm. piece of mm-hmm. fabric. I don't know why that tends to be the pattern. Mm-hmm. Just is. But it's a long, long piece of cloth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the word for it that I'm seeing on Yahoo News oh. is pelicot. Pelicot? But I just call it a sarong. Yeah. But all the uncles, when it's hot as balls in Malaysia, you put this on. Nothing underneath. Yep. Free dangling. Free. Just free. air. They do. The uncles in India wear something similar, right? Exactly the same yeah. thing. Yeah. We call it dhoti. And it's actually only worn in South India, which is where I'm from. So I'm sure my dad will be listening gotcha. to this and be like, oh, I should wear one now. <laughs> yeah. You should. next When you come home from Malaysia the next round, buy your parents a couple of these yeah. cloths. Both my and parents, my like, mom right, and my dad. Summertime. Both wear Yeah. 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 <laughs> Because the women, the women wear it too. Like my, my grandma and my aunties, they definitely have their own version. And whenever we stay at our auntie's house, she's like, here's some extra. Oh, like it's easier to wash. It is, yeah. yeah. It's easier to like do your, we, you know, cause it's a, we come from an Islamic family. So to do the wudu, which is the wash for the prayer, it's just easy to have like a skirt like that on. Cause then you you can wash your feet easily. That's right. You need to like go she 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 got a she she yeah. <laughs> before you do wudu. You could splash up on the crotch. Yep, there you go. Yep. <laughs> it's so liberating. Anyway, I was just curious. I I honestly haven't even seen people wear that. I don't like ever, like in we have gone now to several parts of Malaysia at this point, and I haven't seen anyone mm-hmm. wear that. Maybe we haven't been in like the yeah. more rural areas, but there's like a good amount of rural activities going on here, but I haven't seen anyone wear that. So yeah. I'll have to I, check it. I feel like it's, yeah, I feel like it's either, yes, definitely very rural, but also it is something that's like you wear in the comfort of your home. You don't see too many people like wow. walking about on the streets. Yeah. yeah. I don't see, I don't view it as Malaysian. Like I think I view it and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's, they're wearing like, like the Indian version. Like I think of it in that right. perspective. So I, it's so common to yeah, me yeah. that I just don't register it. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's normal. But I didn't that's realize like Malaysia and Malaysians have their own version of that, that they wear, which, so I'll need to look at it more closely next time. Okay. I'm, I'm going to continue. Cause I cannot, <laughs> let's go to the story. <laughs> let's go to the story. No, I, I was the one I was rambling. All right. It's Harini's turn today, folks. And if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be a part two of a former story. That's right. It's a part two, and it's only taken us three weeks to give you the, the part two. So I severely apologize uh, for that big gap. But you know it, better late than never is what they say. So here we are. All right, let's do this. 
So just to remind everyone, since it has been three weeks, uh, the part one was about the Golden Goose Awards that was started by Senator William Proxmire because he believed that we are wasteful. We waste so much of our government-funded, our taxpayer money on the most useless research. And that was just to basically Mm. prove his point. But in, in so much irony, it actually showed us that some of the most wackiest most ridiculous sounding studies turn out to be the most life-changing and move the needle in the biggest way. And we talked about one uh, last uh, last time, which was about the cone snails. We were talking about cone snails yes. and how they could be used as an alternative to an opioid. If you want to listen more to that, you can check out last time's episode. I keep wanting to say last week's, but it wasn't last week. <laughs> uh, our last episode. And I promised you guys that I would also dig into another study that won a Golden Goose Award, I believe, if not the same year, but the year prior. So 2021 or 2020. All right, let's get into it. So Megan, (laughs) this is also about another sea critter. So we're kind of on, on theme, on brand here. Do you know what a horseshoe crab is? I do. Okay. Have you seen one? Because I've never seen one in person, but maybe you've seen one like a picture of it. I have seen a horseshoe crab in person. What? Uh, we did a vacation down to the Florida Keys okay. a long time ago. I think I was in middle school mm-hmm. and I remember seeing it and being so like shocked that this type of creature, like yeah. but what, what was weird is I knew that they existed. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think I would ever see one. Yeah. So seeing one was like, oh, this, so this is where they are. Like, uh-huh. I'm like, oh, that's this is where they happen naturally. But I remember distinctly it was horseshoe crabs mating. Oh, like one on top of the other. That's amazing. And then someone, someone who is happened to be occupying the same beach or whatever, because like people go up and they check them out. They like flipped it. I remember they flipped them as they were bound together mm-hmm. and they both flipped over together, oh. still attached. But the the legs Mm -hmm. from underneath Mm -hmm. were freaky. Yeah. Just like, (laughs) and they hiss too. Those. Oh, they hiss. And I was like, what the fuck? It sounded like a hissing sound. And I don't know if it's a hissing sound as like a defense mechanism, or that's just like the sound they make when their legs are doing their thing. I don't know. So long answer short, I have seen horseshoe crabs. Wow. They're freaky, but they're very cool. Yes. I, okay. That's, that's so cool. I had no, had no bleh, I did not ever know that you had seen that. And that too, most importantly, you saw them during mating season, which is not, I wouldn't say rare, but that's probably the time right. to go see them if you if you're gonna go see them. Right. So that's pretty special. How big was the horseshoe crabs that you saw? Or were they just like a range of sizes? Pretty big. Yeah. Now, mind you, again, I just saw this duo. Okay. But um from my memory. I felt like the one on top was actually smaller than one than the one on bottom. Mm-hmm. And for someone who specializes in horseshoe crab species size, maybe you can fact check me. But as a child, like that's what I can recall mm-hmm. in my memory. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if like a male horseshoe crab is smaller than a female one. But to give an idea of size, so I'm looking at my ring light yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. I have a very very basic ring light. It's the cheapest one you can buy on Amazon. It's like a small circle, just enough that like my face can fit through mm-hmm. it. I feel mm-hmm. like that was the size of the shell. So maybe like a frisbee. Like yeah, yeah. That's like that. Yeah, not a not a um, 
disc golf size, yeah. but like an actual Frisbee disc size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree because I was shocked. I mean, I was when I was researching this originally, I was looking at images and I highly recommend that you guys go uh, right now, Google search horseshoe crabs because they come in or they start out as very teeny tiny. I mean, just like anything does, I suppose. But mm-hmm. in comparison to their full adult size, it's quite shocking how much they grow in their lifetime. They get pretty mm-hmm. freaking mm-hmm. big and they're quite hefty too. Like I I don't I'm assuming you didn't pick one up, but they look like they have some weight to oh, them, yeah. you know? Like very sturdy yeah. looking sea critters. <laughs> they definitely yeah, I mean, it's true. I did not touch it because that thing was freaky. Yeah. But uh the it it's how it looks like that plating, yeah. that armor does look so dense. Yeah. yeah. And I love how you say their plating looks like armor because that's literally what it looks like. They look like almost like little army tanks and they have like very similar to uh, stingrays. They have a little like harpoon looking tail to them too. That looks like almost like a scorpion. So we'll get into that. That's a lot of description, but I'm curious. That was very curious that you were able to see them. All right. So all pharmaceutical companies around the world, they rely on this exact creature, this 450 million year old sea critter to test the safety of their medications. Now let that just sink in. Mm -hmm. This creature that Megan saw is 450 million years old. And what they do Mm -hmm. every spring under a full moon, horseshoe crabs congregate across beaches in the mid Atlantic to lay their eggs. Horseshoe crabs survived for millions of years and remain relatively unchanged since the time that they came into life and existence. Despite being a crab, they are more closely related to spiders, hence Megan saying all of the legs, and scorpions, Mm. their tails, and they also have nine Mm. eyes. Very like weird mixture. Yeah, weird mixture of all these different critters, right? primordial, like truly. These crabs also ensure the safety of our medications, including the COVID-19 vaccine. A great follow-up question to that would be how? And the answer is with their blood, which is blue. So why, why is their blood blue? It's because of the copper that's in their blood. It makes them this baby blue color, which is hemocyanin, versus for us, our blood is red. And that's because we have iron in our blood, which is hemoglobin. And Mm. the color of the horseshoe crab's blood is likely the least interesting aspect about their story. And that's saying something. Why are horseshoe crabs so special? Because their blue blood houses the only natural source of limulus amoebocyte lysate, or LAL, on Earth, a substance that detects a certain type of bacterial toxin called endotoxin. If an endotoxin enters your body by way of, let's say, a contaminated vaccine, an IV drip, or other supposedly sterile medical devices, then it can cause anaphylactic shock and even death. So like, think back to my Scotland sheep episode where we have the botulinum. That is like a certain bacteria that can enter your bloodstream and cause you to die, right? Very similarly. Mm -hmm. So in the summers of 1953 and 1954, A man, Dr. Frederick Bang, a pathobiologist at Johns Hopkins, he does a series of experiments on horseshoe crabs to see how the creature defends itself against the bacteria-filled ocean. So Dr. Bang injects these crabs with various bacteria to see how they fare. What he finds is interesting. The horseshoe crab 
once they had this bacteria in their system, they would clot their blood around the bacteria, forming like this jail of a sticky bubble around the bacteria that successfully contained the infection and prevent it from spreading around to the rest of the horseshoe crab's body. On a biochemical level, this is what's, what's going to happen or what is happening. The horseshoe crab, let's say, gets a crack in their shell. That allows some ocean bacteria to come in, and these amoebocytes, these bacteria in the horseshoe crab, they have blood. They're like the blood police. They're patrolling the blood in search of any harmful pathogens like this particular bacteria. And once the amoebocyte spots the bacteria, it immediately forms the sticky gel around said bacteria and slows its spread enough for an, other defense mechanisms and other defense systems in the blood to search and destroy this bacterial species. So Dr. Bing's thinking like, if a, ba- if a horseshoe crab can do this, then maybe it can do that for us as humans. So now mm-hmm. Dr. Bing is working with another doctor, Dr. Levin, who's a hematologist over at Yale. And they realized together that the horseshoe crabs would clot or coagulate their blood in response to specifically gram-negative endotoxins. And it was so Mm. sensitive. It would pick up even the tiniest traces of endotoxin contamination. So what's fascinating about all of this is that on this beach in Delaware, because it's mostly in Delaware, can also happen in Florida, under that spring Mm -hmm. full moon (laughs) – were not only regular beachgoers, but people from pharmaceutical companies, like I said. And not just a few, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are there. And this is where it gets even more interesting. But first, in order to understand why pharma people are on a Delaware beach collecting horseshoe crabs, we got to go back in time and talk about the invention of injectable drugs. So we're going to step into my hot tub time machine and we'll go back. The first injectable medication was morphine after Dr. Alexander Wood from Edinburgh invented the hypodermic syringe in 1855. And this was amazing because when you inject a medication directly into your bloodstream, you receive 100% of the drug. Whereas if you were to swallow it as a pill or or a solution, et cetera, even like topically, some of it will always get lost or metabolized in your stomach acid before it reaches your blood. So this invention of injectable drugs was a huge, huge breakthrough in medicine. But there's just one problem. We didn't fully understand bacteria and germs or ultimately infections at this time. So that means there wasn't a concept of sterilization. As we now know, we must use sterilization and aseptic technique with all medical equipment. Basically, anything that's going to go inside your body, it must, of course, be sterilized. Back then, hypodermic syringes were not cleaned properly, and oftentimes the same syringe was being used on multiple people. So you can imagine that bacteria found its way into the body pretty easily and caused fevers, sickness, and death. Needle contamination was so common, so in order to avoid this, a small portion of the medication would be injected into a rabbit's ear first to see if the rabbit developed a fever or not. And that's how they decided if the medication was safe to inject into a human. This was literally done up until like the, the 60s. They would just inject a little rabbit. So they, weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't connecting that it wasn't the medication that's causing the infection. They're, it's the needle and non-sterilization. They weren't putting those dots together that it could be It was just the needle. Correct. Exactly. Like, I think they weren't sure. They're like, oh, this medication might be, have contaminants in it, which 
it technically did, but it was because of the needle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the needle already has bacteria yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's getting inserted into the medication. So it's a little bit of both, but yeah, yeah it's starting from the unclean syringe, of course. So these poor rabbits were just getting, you know, Russian roulette every single day. <laughs> right. So fast forward to the 1960s where a man named Dr. Cooper, he is training at Johns Hopkins to become a pharmacist in nuclear medicine. And one day, Mr. Dr. Cooper sat in on a lecture on the potential of horseshoe crab blood given by Dr. Levin. Dr. Cooper is so inspired. It's so hyped up about this idea of horseshoe crab blood and about testing it for endotoxins that he thinks like we should use this concept of what the horseshoe crab does for its own body and use this to uh, basically test for endotoxins in medications instead of rabbits, which he eventually does develop this test in tandem with Dr. Levin. And in 1971, the LAL or the Limulus Amoebocyte Lysate test was created. Test was super simple. If there was no bacterial contamination, then the gel-like coagulation didn't occur. And the solution was considered free of bacteria. It was simple, mm -hmm. an instantaneous test, and became wildly popular. So much so that now every single drug approved by the FDA must be tested using LAL. Every single one. If you ever had a needle stuck in you, then you know that it's because it was first deemed safe by this little sea critter's superpower blue blood. And this is from Dr. Cooper. He has this really good quote that, think about walking down a hospital corridor and seeing all of the IV bags, all the medicines being injected. Think about all the hospitals, pharmacies, and clinics across the country and around the world. The magical blue blood from a single horseshoe crab provides 70 million LAL testing units to ensure the safety of our medications before it goes into your body. So your epidural injection during labor, your daughter's EpiPen, your grandma's new hip replacement, the stent in your heart after a heart attack, your chemotherapy infusion, your immunizations, and of course, your COVID-19 vaccine. But again, this doesn't happen out of nowhere. Around 450,000 horseshoe crabs are harvested every single year. Mm -hmm. These crabs are trucked off to a nearby facility from these beaches along the Mid-Atlantic to a nearby facility where they are bled for 8 to 10 minutes and then re-released back into the ocean. Now, some horseshoe crabs do die in the process, and the number most widely accepted by researchers is 15%. So that's about 2% mm. of the estimated 20 million horseshoe crab population in Delaware Bay. With that being said, mm. the Atlantic horseshoe crab population is listed as vulnerable under the International Union of Conservation of Nature. There are companies that are created that have created a recombinantly derived reagent to replace real horseshoe, cra horseshoe crab blood, which would significantly reduce the number of horseshoe crabs that it would need to be harvested every year. But the U.S. Mm. is slow to adopt the synthetic method. And on June 1st, 2020, the American Pharmacopeia, which sets the standards for drugs and other products in the U.S., said that recombinant LAL is not as sensitive as crab lysate. So there's definitely still a lot of work to be done on that front. But the mm. work coming out of this project and from this research obviously has changed the way that we do medicine. Like it if you think about it, it was so rudimentary to have to inject the medication into a rabbit every single time just to ensure. Even after we understood about germs and infections, we were still doing that. So obviously we've come a long way, but it still yeah. blows my mind that 
it, and this is something I always go back to when we do these stories. How does one – like how does one look at this creature swimming in the water, mm. mating with their mate, and is like, let me – Mm-hmm. open up their body or like, let me look at their blue blood and use it to create something totally crazy in medicine. You know, like, it's just like, it just blows right. my mind. Like, how do we get from point A to point B? But I think that's kind of the point of the Golden Goose Awards. It's like something that is so wacky sounding and so ridiculous, and it ends up really changing the world. There is that component that's missing of even gathering the horseshoe crab in the first Correct. place and say, seeing like, oh, the hemocyan and reacts in this way to the bacteria. Therefore we can apply, apply it in this way. Like, I want to know more about that. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I have on that is that the original doctor, which I think is Dr. Levin, I think that was basically his PhD or his research was he was researching these sea critters. And that was one of the tests Mm -hmm. that he did. Like he was just genuinely interested in these creatures because it's like, you look at them and you're like, what the heck are these things? They're so curious to sure, look at. Sure. So he basically chose that as right. his research topic. And I'm assuming right. from that, he, of course, wanted to see what – once you saw your – once you see the blood, you're like, oh, my God, it's blue. And then it kind of goes mm-hmm. from there. But, yeah, to having more details on the backstory of that would be curious because, again, exactly. Like how did we get yeah. from that point A origin to the point B? Right. I think the most logical – process would be maybe he had colleagues who specialized in studying marine life yeah that was their specialty and maybe he grew up in that area I don't know I don't know this is all presumption but maybe he was used to seeing them Mm -hmm. right and then maybe he had a colleague that was like dude I'm doing a study on horseshoe crabs it's really crazy these things are thousands (laughs) of years old like and then maybe that person is putting that the question of how do they survive for so long yeah and then it like that kind of snowballs into how did they survive for that long? Does it have to do with this blue blood? Yeah. What does the blue blood have? Mm-hmm. You know, like all those things. So I can see that process. Exactly. Because you're right. I think that's probably how they did survive for so long because like I said, they've they survived mm-hmm. for millions of years relatively unchanged. Like they look exactly the same mm-hmm. as when they came into existence. How does that work? How right. does that function, right? So, and that's exactly what Dr. Levin was trying to figure out. He was trying to figure out how do these crabs, horseshoe crabs, survive amongst all of the bacteria that lives in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Like it's very common for crabs or anything to get hurt or have cracks in their shells. So how did they self-regulate that? So that's kind of where that question I think came in, but there must've been like another research question before that. Right. So yeah, curious to even bother collecting them. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I I'm pretty confident if we were to look into it, I think what you said was correct. He probably grew up in the area because going back to mm-hmm. the last Golden Goose story <clears throat> with Toto Oliveira, he grew up in the Philippines mm-hmm. surrounded by cone snails. He was always fascinated by them because he right. always saw them and he would he wouldn't necessarily uh, collect cone snails, but he would collect other snails around in that area. And he's that was like right. just something that was always in his mind. He wanted to just know more about them and that had that be his research of interest, right? So I can see that being yeah. something similar here. And that makes me think, gosh, it's kind of not, it's not luck of the draw. It takes being a, a creative and naturally inquisitive mind and just being curious about your environment mm-hmm. to stumble upon those discoveries. But now it's like, I look around my environment and I'm like, what critters are near I me know. that 
that could have the answer to anything. But, you know, living in a suburb of San Diego, the only critters that are around are like, my domesticated cats look at LT. He's looking at himself. Oh, LT, cutie pie. Hi, LT. <laughs> I've got my kitty cats and the freaking lizards that they oh bring in. And I'm God. the lizards are very con- common, like the blue belly. Mm. I don't even know whatever. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? They got the blue belly, small. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they hold secrets. I was going to say for you, <laughs> you should definitely, you would definitely look more into the, the stingrays in San Diego Bay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yes. That's yes, a good sting- one. Yeah, but I feel like people already study them I so know, much for true. good reason. For a good reason. That's why I'm like, it's not novel. <laughs> Stingrays aren't novel. I need something novel. That's true. Like horseshoe crabs, I think the way that they look are just so fascinating. I mean, like they're on yeah. – when I look at them, they look like some of those um, like prehistoric fossils when you see dinosaurs. Like you know like some of yes. them like the prehistoric. They're, that's what it is. It's so yeah. crazy. And you see them in like 2023. You're like, what? What? You're, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. You know? Megan, really quick, I'm going to turn off the stove. I just realized I had the stove on this whole time. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. God damn it. <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right. Is anything burning? No, no, no. Or was it just on? It was oh, on. I was boiling something, but I think it's now like beyond boiled now. <laughs> okay. Hey, but that's how certain discoveries are that's made, though. Right. Pure accidents, like leaving your pot just boiling for so long Dude. maybe there's a chemical reaction i don't know well that's that's what we're talking about like the laser laser eye surgery like he just lasered half of his cornea off he's like wait i can see better yeah. <laughs> uh kind of along the same lines i've been watching top chef i don't know if anyone's a top chef fan but mm-hmm. they are it's all stars and it's international it's based in london this this season okay. which is so cool and um nice they're having like one of their potluck family style uh yeah what is it like tasks or competitions and okay. one of the girls yeah, yeah. she's american because uh, it's international right so she, she's one of the american contestants and she was talking about a story about the behind the, her dish and she was saying when mm-hmm. my uh dad came over to meet my mom's parents for the first time my grandfather mm-hmm. basically took my dad so like his future son-in-law take, took my dad out and had him chop down a tree and my dad has never chopped down a tree before, but he's like, I got to do this, right? So he chops down the tree. And then on like the last swing, he swings it backwards or something like that. And it goes through the tree and into his father-in-law's leg, like into her grandfather's leg. Oh, my God. Yes. Awful. <laughs> and they how, – yep. How terrifyingly mortifying. Like yeah. cannot think of a worst case scenario of meeting like your partner's parents. But anyways, yeah. so they all rush okay, to the hospital. Okay, to be yeah. fair yeah. – Sorry to interrupt. To be fair, if the grandpa's the one that knows how to chop down a tree, then you should know the safety the most around somebody who doesn't know how to chop down That's a tree. That's right. You got to stand 20 feet back. That's right. Think straight. Mm-hmm. You tell so him, Megan. So whose fault is it really? <laughs> I didn't even watch this episode. <laughs> but Megan's spitting facts nonetheless. All right. So, yes, he should have been staying way back. So I don't know what was going on. But anyways, he swings it through yeah. the tree and into his father-in-law's leg. And while everyone's like scrambling Jeez. to like get to the hospital and through the ambulance, essentially during that time of the wood chopping, um, this girl's mom was had some food in the oven. Like it's like her spinach casserole bake or something. And in all the flurry mm-hmm. of trying to get to the hospital and, and fix the leg and this and that – she forgot the oven and like the oven was still on Uh, and when she came back uh it had like basically kind of like burned over a little bit 
but they loved it so yeah. much. Like it tasted so much better that they now like made it a tradition wow. every year for the holiday. So that's essentially what she made. And that was yeah. her story. So it's like something that Aww. was good, but yeah. made it better. <laughs> so happy after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I'm sure it's almost like a cheese crisp on top. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh, delicious. Yeah, yeah. So good. Okay. Yep. That's my story. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. Horseshoe crabs are really fascinating. And I think honestly, my takeaway when I, cause I've admittedly, I've heard this before. Yeah. I know you've talked about this before when you're doing some side projects. The one thing that will always fascinate me is how we have not moved forward with the s- synthetic version or the non horseshoe crab derived version of this. Um, is a protein? What is it? Like, hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. The blood, yeah, it's just the blood. like it's the synthetic protein, version yeah. of their blood. And I know that, you know, they, we haven't moved forward with it because the FDA or whoever is dictating this deems it, you know, it's not as accurate as the organic version from horseshoe crabs, but like, why haven't we achieved a better version yet? And I know that my brain will always go back and forth on that question because I'm like, well, we literally had been piercing rabbit ears up through the 1960s to determine the safety of a, a medication or a needle or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, of course, it's not a surprise that we haven't moved super quickly on getting this synthetic mm-hmm, version. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but if other countries have, because the, the synthetic version originally came from another country, right? Like, It just says, rec- it's know. basically a recombinant um, version of the blood. So it's completely synthetic. Yeah. And I, from what I'm reading is that they, it's like a mixed bag, essentially. There, Some people mm-hmm. say like it is completely accurate. Like we don't know what you're talking about. People are just like afraid mm-hmm. of shying away. It is more than that. It's I think it's also like a money thing because all of the uh, mm-hmm. companies that have been relying, that's their livelihood of using these horseshoe crabs and using their blood for all these testing. Now that would almost become obsolete, yeah. right? So there's like a resistance right. to the change. So I don't know if it's like a lobbying thing yeah. or what have you, mm-hmm. but I, mm-hmm. in my eyes, we are so advanced when it comes to replicating things at this point, chemically speaking, and having analogs mm-hmm. of organic substances and compounds. I can't see a situation yeah. where it wouldn't act the same way, if not more accurately, if that's possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think there yeah. has to be something more going on that we're not fully seeing. Sure. And yeah, and we can only speculate, though. I'm sure there are some um, readings. Like, I'm sure there is like... Uh, something that could probably prove your theory mm-hmm. that it might have to do with lobbying. Mm-hmm. It might have to do with um, sustaining an industry that might be dying. Right. Um, but the recombinant version is, a. I remember when you last told me about mm-hmm. this, it's been approved mm-hmm. and it's currently being used by quite a few countries. Yes. So not like hundreds of countries. Exactly. So outside of the US, I believe mm-hmm. mostly in Europe, I believe uh, they are using the recombinant version. No problem. So it's just about you know, getting yeah. the FDA on board with this. And I do think it will happen. Yeah. And that's why I feel like it's more of a lobbying thing or like some political thing going on right. because it's being used in other places just fine, you know? Yeah. I wonder though, well, first I need to see what is the horseshoe crab's geographic domain? Mm-hmm. Like where do they tend to live? Mm-hmm. Because it would make sense for countries in Europe if they don't have access to the organic material it's probably very expensive yeah. to ship it. So why not use the yep. recombinant? Makes more sense for totally. Them. But in terms of conservation, because I don't think it's a sustainable industry 
because I know the data is saying that horseshoe crab population is slow. It's vulnerable. It's not the same as how Mm -hmm. it used to be 40, Mm -hmm. 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Something, something to think about. (laughs) No, absolutely. And as you were saying that, I just quickly looked up where are they located? And I think you're right. It does have something to do with that because they're only found essentially along the coast of North America, the coast of the Atlantic and the Gulf coast, uh, in Mexico. And then the, there's three other species that are found in Southeast Asia. So definitely nowhere around Europe. Right. So they're not, they're not having like an organic natural source there. So that could be part of it. Yeah. Why do these very successfully evolved critters only live in these areas? Makes me think about the eels that only go back to the certain trenches in the ocean. That's what I think. It's Pacific Rim. It's It's so weird. Monsters underneath. I know, but that's so weird to me. I'm like, I there's only in certain parts of the world and like also just along the coast. Like they're not like in the deep water in the deep ocean. You know what I mean? Like they're they're concentrated along the coastline. So. I don't know. I mm-hmm. think that's there's some it'd be curious to investigate deeper into into all of that and their their breeding and their migration patterns yeah. and what what have you. But anyways, very cool. Absolutely. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very interesting. Well, we can go into our antidotes. Yes, we can. Uh, I will go first. My antidote is I feel like I've probably done this antidote before, but it's okay to have repeat okay. antidotes. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, on Friday, <laughs> this past Friday, I decided to go out solo for the first time in a long time. Oh. And when I say go out solo, I explicitly mean go out at night solo to like a bar Hell yeah. on my own. I played it safe, though. This bar is literally walking distance from my house. I walk one block and a half. I love it, though. And I specifically oh, chose this bar because they have house music Fridays. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to sit in a social setting and take in the music. Like if there's anything I enjoy the most, if I am going out solo, it's like having some sort of stimulation like music to watch or like just bop my head to. So I did that. And it's just been a very long time since I've taken myself out like that. I am not in the same place I used to be in terms of being welcoming towards strangers <laughs> that want to talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to be that person. I used to be the person that would go out to a bar and gleefully talk to anyone who wanted to sit next to me and chat. Yeah. Um, and it'd always be great conversation. I've never felt like anyone was creepy or rude or you know, uninteresting. Yeah. But I am in a place now where I'm like, oh, I just don't have that energy. Don't bother me. Yeah. And nobody did. And maybe they could feel that. That is (laughs) amazing. It was a win-win. It was a win-win. That's pretty nice. So what you're telling me is only when we're together do we get unwanted attention. (laughs) Wonderful. Yes. I'm glad you're safe alone. (laughs) No one will bother you. I think think it's true. Like, I think people can pick up what you're putting down in terms of your your energy. You're like, "Mm, I'm good. I'm just trying to boop box by myself tonight. Very true. I was very intentional body language wise. I walked in alone, didn't sit in any congregated areas, literally sat at tables that weren't occupied, just stayed alone the whole night. And I think people can usually read that body language. So it was nice. I was very proud of myself. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Just be like, embrace the night. That's a really cool thing to do. And that's something I'm getting more into the habit of doing. And now that I have opportunity to, since I'm mostly by myself, I'm like, I'm just going to go explore Mm -hmm. on my own and be totally fine Mm -hmm. with that. (laughs) And I have a good time. Yeah. 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 (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. My antidote is just being back. I I definitely miss uh, Dave and that sounded like I forgot his name for a second. I did it. I was just like, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I did it. I promise. I was going to say, I definitely miss being in Penang, but then I was like, I should probably say Dave first, but <laughs> yes. Yes, I miss yes. both. I miss Dave a lot and I miss uh, right. I miss being here. It's like a totally different world and different vibe. And I, I think there is something yeah. to be said that when you do get on the plane and you go somewhere, it does feel like you're on vacation. So I do feel like this is like my yes. vacation <laughs> place. Right, right. Um, but it was really nice. It was Dave's – I came right in time for Dave's birthday. His birthday was the next day. And I did right. my darn hardest to stay up so I wouldn't be jet lagged the next night. <laughs> But this man, this husband of mine, he set up a a game night the very night I came. And I was like, Uh, I was like, well, I cannot stay up. So and he like (laughs) got a cake. He's like, you have to come. Like he really tried so hard to to get me to go. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And like I felt bad because he got me a cake, even though it was his birthday. He got me a cake for coming back. And he said, welcome back to Penang, Dr. (laughs) Bob. It was so funny. Oh, that is so sweet. It was really that's cute. That's so stinking cute. It was yeah, cute. So he, that's very, very cute. It was so cute. And he wanted me to cut it with everybody, with all his friends and our, like our now our friends and things Aww. like that. But I was yeah. like, I was literally like had to open my eyes. I was like, I'm so tired, man. And so I told him, I was like, I'm so sorry. I cannot, I cannot, like, I want to actually like be present on your actual birthday. So like, let me just yeah. try and sleep it off a little bit and then I'll be right. awake. So he just, he, he, I told him to go. So he left and he went and enjoyed himself and he gave me specific instructions right. to not close my eyes until 10 PM. And I was like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did. I was, yeah. I was watching a show, my favorite show, whatever I was watching at the time. And I was more <laughs> watching the clock than I was watching the show. And then at 10 PM, exactly. Yeah. My eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> And I was dead to the world. I can, I can picture it. <laughs> uh, and it was good. I, I recovered yeah. from my jet lag within a day. So I was like, okay, at least that's it was worth great. it. <laughs> my yeah, gosh. That's great. I, I I find that so funny because I feel like he was trying to do to you what I did to you when you came to Phil's show. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Harini. We're going to stay. And I just, you were so kind and so polite, but I knew you were dying. I knew you were just was like I tired? zonked out of your was mind. You were tired. I think you were jet lagged. Was I still jet lagged? Okay. I can't, I, I remember yeah. we went pretty You're early like, on. Dying, I think I was still jet lagged. <laughs> yeah. But I did yes. honestly enjoy it. Yeah. That's why I kept telling Dave. I was like, it was so fun. Like oh, we had, thanks. the music was so good and it was all, I think every song was original except oh. for one, right? Yes. Which is phenomenal. Yeah, Phoenix. Yeah. So good. Yes. Yeah. I had a, I had a genuinely <laughs> good time. So I'm glad, I'm glad you took me. Good, 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 good. Yeah. That's a great answer. I'm glad you, you're reunited yeah. with Dave and reunited with the city of Penang. Yeah. It is like going back on vacation. Mm-hmm. What a blast. What a blast. Yeah. And more to come, I'm sure. So we will be back on the docket, you guys. Thanks again for waiting. And we'll see you. We'll see you next week. And I will take us on out. So don't risk it for that baby blue blood biscuit. Ooh, I love a triple B alliteration. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.